Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Optimistic Design, a speaker series where we take a practical, positive look at the future of design, ethical innovation, and technology. I'm your host, Wilma Lamb, Associate Director of Strategy here at Substantial. Today, I'm excited to catch up with Fred Kukelhaus and Ben Young, co-founders of Hugo & Hobie, a furniture company which they started with a simple mission to make beautiful, locally crafted, and sustainable furniture more widely accessible. They've partnered with the best fabricators, craftspeople, and artisans in the country in order to build single source, locally focused pieces for Patagonia, Sam Adams, Google, and many other companies. Hugen Hobie is also a certified B Corp, a member of 1% for the Planet, planting over 25,000 new trees in at-risk domestic forests and supporting environmental nonprofits as part of their company mission. Hi, Fred and Ben. Welcome and thank you for joining me today. Hi, Wilma. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So just to kick things off, I know you both started your careers in other fields. Could you share a little bit about how you got into furniture design? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, Wilma, first of all, th thanks so much for having us. And it's uh, good to reconnect. Um, yeah, kind of a long sort of meandering path to furniture. Um, I was actually a high school math teacher for five years um, after graduating from college. And <clears throat> I've always wanted to start a business. So I, I love teaching. Um, it was something that I could see myself doing sort of for the rest of my life, honestly. Um, but I always had this sort of urge in the back of my mind. I, I've always wanted to start a company and, and I eventually uh, made the decision to, to leave teaching and go to uh, business school and um, kind of learn some of the skills needed to start a business. And I think my original pitch to business school was like starting a, a business in education uh, where I'd kind of seen a lot of uh, opportunities and things like that. And in our welcome weekend, um, you know, as these business schools have, um, we, you know, I can't remember the exact event, but Fred and I kind of crossed paths at one of these events. And I, I honestly think the very first thing Fred said to me, sort of jokingly, is he was like, hey, want to start a company together? And um, he was totally joking at the time. Um, but we kind of bonded over the fact that we both grew up in D.C., and we decided to become roommates. Um, we kind of uh, talked about the fact that we were both interested in entrepreneurship and starting a business, certainly not in furniture. Uh, we had no kind of thought behind that. Um, but yeah, we became roommates and we were, you know, naturally moving into our grad school apartment and we were furnishing our apartment as, as one does with couches and tables and things like that. And, uh, at, you know, after classes and a few beers, I think we got into commiserating over just kind of bad, cheap, unsustainable, hard to put together furniture and just why there weren't better brands out there that we could get excited behind. And so kind of through that process, we found out that we both actually build furniture as a hobby, um, you know, just for fun. And again, like nothing <laughs> super nice or well put together, but, but it, it's always been a hobby of ours. And, uh, you know, we kind of learned that each of our grandfathers, uh, Hugo Kukulhaus, Fred's grandfather, and Hobie Young, my grandfather, uh, were both furniture makers uh, in their lifetimes, and sort of how we gained our sort of passion for furniture. And so that's kind of how the idea first hatched for Hugo and Hobie. It was just kind of one of these moments uh, sitting in our grad school apartment and, um, you know, excited to uh, build a company that we wanted to buy furniture from 
that was locally made and sustainable and easy to put together and, and pieces that were actually going to last a lifetime as, as our grandfathers built, built for us and our families. Awesome. And how about for you, Fred? Was it just like you saw Ben that first day and you're like, this is the guy. I'm going to start a, a company <laughs> with this guy. His love at first sight. Uh, <laughs> it still is. Um, yeah, you know, I think uh, I was I was a management consultant um, before going back to school. Um, so had had worked a, a pretty, I guess what you would call normal, you know, kind of white collar job, um, you know, behind a computer and at a desk. Um, and through that, had, have always had kind of a strong interest, um, you know, both in design, but then also um, in other subjects that are, I think, are related to design, like environmentalism, sustainability, um, you know, everything that's going on in our society in terms of like social impact and things like this. Um, and so thought at business, business school in particular, you know, business uh, program is where Ben and I met each other, might be a good place to uh, kind of think more deeply about those subjects um, and how I might combine them into a, into a career, um, you know, after I'd done kind of my time as I saw it at that point, um, you know, kind of doing a quote unquote normal job. Um, so, you know, when I ran into Ben, um, obviously we immediately had some things in common. And so, yeah, I do remember actually the exact moment where I half jokingly was like, do you want to start a company together? Um, we ended up becoming roommates as Ben said. Um, and then, yeah, you know, the, I'll pick up where, where, um, where Ben left off his story, which is um, we just kind of slowly continue to talk about, um, you know, what it would look like and, and uh, what we were interested in and really kind of getting to know each other, um, you know, over time, I'd say with, um, for how we really started getting serious about furniture and furniture design, um, Ben touched on this, but there was really kind of an initial interest on our part. Um, and secondly, you know, a need um, where we kind of saw and have continued to see that um, obviously there is a market desire uh, among kind of the, the broader populace for well-designed, uh, you know, thoughtfully made um, things. And so that's where we kind of found ourselves gravitating, you know, to over time. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for that. It, it's really interesting just to hear the background of how you guys met each other and got started. Um, and it's, you know, it's been five or six years since Hugo and Hobie started. So I'd love to hear, you know, in that time, who has been your most influential teacher or mentor as you've built Hugo and Hobie and, and really got into furniture design more deeply? Yeah, I think, um, you know, before I kind of give the, the most influential answer, I, I will say, yeah. uh, I think we've been really lucky to just be surrounded by um, sort of entrepreneurs that are either at the same stage of our company, as well as entrepreneurs that are just a few years, uh, you know, they started a few years ahead of us. Um, and they've just been amazing mentors throughout the, the way of kind of, you know, you're building these things from the ground up and figuring it all out. And um, so I think we've been really lucky to be surrounded by just an amazing group of uh, entrepreneurs that have helped us, you know, guide us in different ways. Um, one, one particular person um, that stands out for me um, is that as we kind of built this company, you know, it's this exciting moment where you get to kind of decide what type of company do we, do we want to build? You know, it's like you get to kind of do it from scratch and write your own rules. And um, for us, one of the companies that always stood out to us um, as just sort of a guiding North Star uh, was Patagonia. Um, and they just felt like they always made the right decisions in business and, and were constantly improving. Um, so they, they never, and I would say still, 
they never feel like they're at the finish line, right? It's always, there's always a way to be more sustainable, have better employment practices, et cetera. And so we always kind of look to them as a, a guiding North Star. And in particular, while we were in business school, uh, Vincent Stanley, who is part of the Center for Business Environment at Yale, he had a position there. He kind of became a mentor to us from, from day one. And he was the chief marketing officer at Patagonia. Now he's the chief storyteller at Patagonia. And he's just been this amazing um, advisor, mentor, friend to us to kind of help us make these decisions um, about, you know, what type of company do you want to have 10 years from now um, or 20 years from now or 100 years from now? Um, you know, that's sort of how Patagonia looks at it is very far in advance. Um, and one thing in particular that I think he really always came back to was this idea of pushing the boundaries of what it means to be sustainable. And he's actually been one of the, the bugs in our ear every year saying, hey, do you guys apply to become a certified B Corp yet? And we always say, oh, we're, we're going to get there. We want to apply. And finally this year, you know, uh, uh, about a year ago, we finally applied uh, to get certification. And, and I think it's one of the greatest things we've done as a company is really, you know, it's essentially doing an audit on your company to say, how good are you really at sustainability and social impact, um, employment practices, et cetera. And it's extremely rigorous. And so we kind of thought, oh, we're going to be a shoe in, you know, we work with local fabricators, sustainable hardwoods, you know, we ship locally, we do all the right things. And actually it turns out there's so many areas that we were doing well at, but we could do a lot better at. And so I think uh, through his mentorship, we've kind of um, set our goals higher, I think, than we probably would have set ourselves um, and are, are trying to push the boundaries of what, what it means to be a you know, thoughtful, sustainable, um, socially driven company. That's awesome. And how about for you, Brad? Yeah, I, I totally agree with everything um, you know, Ben said. Uh, Vincent Stanley's been... Um, you know, kind of a, a foundational person in the formation of, uh, of Hugo and Hobie and has been like an incredible source of, um, you know, both inspiration and guidance. Um, I'd say the the second person or one of my kind of top folks would be um, a guy named uh, William Brown, Bill Brown, um, who is actually the director of the Eli Whitney Museum in New Haven. Um, and so uh, for those of you who haven't been to the um, Eli Whitney Museum, it's obviously you know, a museum that's really kind of focused on um, Eli Whitney and the impacts of um, the various kind of inventions, um, you know, that he created during his lifetime and also his um, influence really on the Industrial Revolution. Um, the, an influence, by the way, that we're still feeling, you know, today in fabrication and design and so many aspects of our life. Um, and so Bill is not only the director of the museum, but for the past, you know, I think 44 years, um, has really been running these incredible education programs um, for children in design um, and in fabrication, basically teaching children um, kind of more non-traditional learning methods, you know, haptic learning methods in terms of how to use tools to learn, you know, certain subjects, how to use literally wind and water, you know, uh, soil as learning materials and teaching materials. Um, so he is uh, an incredibly fascinating person um, among other things, he's really, you know, kind of a philosopher in a lot of ways and that his insights on, um, you know, what it means to, to build things and why you would build things has been, I think, very influential for us. Um, and then more actually just technically from an operational standpoint, I mean, Bill, 
has probably trained, you know, or knows of, I don't know, maybe half of the fabricators, you know, in New England and on the East Coast that at some point, you know, been influenced by Bill. So he's the type of person who knows everybody um, and who really has made a mark on a lot of the people you want to be working with anyways. Um, and so the way our company is set up that we partner with local, you know, fabricators and manufacturers, um, a lot of them, obviously not all of them, can actually be tied back to Bill. Mm. Um, and so, and he was instrumental in introducing us really in the first place when we got started. So I think he's another person kind of like Vincent Stanley, who from a philosophical level and also an operational level mm -hmm. um, has just had a tremendous impact on us. Yeah, no, that's great. And, and it's really interesting to hear from both of you that both of these mentors have really helped you to think about the mission of Hugo and Hobie and continue to refine it. Uh, so with that, Fred, I'd love to hear a little bit um, about you know, how, when you talk about single source, locally focused furniture, you know, what does that mean to, to you guys at Hugo and Hobie? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we talked a little bit about what our kind of inspirations were for starting the company uh, and what our inspirations in design are. And uh, as I kind of mentioned, typically there's an interest and there's a need um, that kind of really kicks off a, a successful or worthwhile project. Um, and so when we talk about, you know, kind of single source sustainability, the same thing is true. And then I think um, there's always been a lot of interest. And even now there's, you know, kind of this increasing interest, you know, around the country um, to build things locally, to build them in a way that um, you can feel good, you know, about buying something or designing something um, and then having it in your home or having it in the workplace or your place of worship or whatever it is. Um, but there's not necessarily a great and clear way to do that. I mean, how many of us really know um, folks who are, are like deeply familiar with how to build, you know, a coffee table or a bed frame or, you know, on a kind of a lower residential level all the way to a commercial level, mm -hmm. you know, some big, you know, architectural element that is really, you know, a huge statement piece in the center of that building. These folks are pretty rare. And so as Ben and I were kind of investigating you know, what the kind of fabrication world is at this moment in the United States and what the state of it is, we realized that there was an opportunity to um, basically connect all of these super high quality, um, really wonderful uh, local fabricators who are really kind of all over the country. And obviously um, being in on the East Coast, that's where we started, that's where our focus is, um, but kind of connecting them and uh, almost forming these kind of um, partnerships that we can act uh, as a much bigger company that can take, you know, that can work with the upholsterer who's like amazing, but maybe not that well known and the woodworker, you know, who's literally, let's say in like the woods of Maine, you know, kind of in a barn doing their own thing, yeah. but incredible work and connecting them in such a way that we can act um, as one group that can, you know, provide um, a seamless service to a customer that wants to, uh, wants that level of work, Mm -hmm. uh, that level of quality wants to invest um, in what they're purchasing or what they're designing kind of in their local communities um, and do it in a way that is not um, too onerous by having to actually go and, you know, have all these conversations themselves. And so at this point, that's how the idea started. I'd say at this point, um, we, you know, really know enough folks and our network is deep enough that what we try to do whenever we're building something is try to build it as closely to the source of where it's going to end up um, as possible. Um, that's both for sustainability, um, you know, uh, kind of objectives or aims, but then also because uh, the whole premise of what we're trying to do is make sure that 
when we're building something, we're investing back in the community. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really what we mean by the kind of single sourcing, um, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the wider range of local capabilities. Yeah. Um, and sustainability, obviously, you know, is, plays into that. It's really kind of at the heart of that. Um, it's not just about picking, you know, although certainly a large part of it, the right kinds of materials, mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of it is, is just building it, you know, in the place where it's going to end up if you can, so that it's, um, it's really kind of becomes part of that community. Yeah, that really makes a lot of sense. Um, but on the sourcing side, I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you know, when you're going through the process of designing furniture, how do you actually select the wood that, that you'll ultimately use or other materials that are gonna be a part of that project? So I think if it's, you know, I think the first thing we do in design is we really kind of listen to what the need is. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the material that we work with probably primarily is, is, is wood, um, although we work across, you know, obviously metal and glass and stone and mm -hmm. upholstery and, um, and there's all sorts of kind of interesting new materials that are coming up all the time that we're you know, very happy to look at and, and yeah. kind of analyze and see if it should be part of our, of our bailiwick, so to speak. Um, but wood is really kind of at the core and the heart of, of what we do, and it's, it's how we started. Um, so when we're working on a project or working on a design, I think we're balancing a couple of things. We're balancing what the customer's needs are and what their vision is. Um, that's really the first thing you do. You kind of listen um, you know, actively to, um, how, how do you want to feel with about this piece when it's completed? You mm -hmm. know, what is it, what should it look like? What should it feel like? Um, different woods and different materials obviously have like different textures, different sounds, even different smells. Um, so that all comes into play. Um, and then very early on, if we think there's an opportunity, we start to introduce the idea of sustainability again, which is, Hey, I know you may want this, for example, mm -hmm. you know, um, this teak that comes from overseas and obviously it's a very beautiful material, but have you considered um, like a local cedar um, mm -hmm. that is domestic and isn't going to have to travel as far, um, can be farmed sustainably, maybe even costs a little bit less, but has a lot of the same properties. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's where we try to be helpful in terms of, um, you know, honoring the intent Mm -hmm. of what is being requested, but at the same time recommending um, where we can and where it's appropriate um, along the, you know, the, the different impacts they can have mm -hmm. with their choices in terms of the price and the environmentalism and the impact just to the local community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a really thoughtful way in which to kind of talk to clients about their original intent and also what, you know, start to influence what's ultimately produced. So kind of following along on this line of thinking, Ben, I'd love to hear from you you know, what, what is that process like when you first engage with, with clients? Like, what is that first ask from, from them? And, and then how do you actually work with clients through the process uh, at Hugo and Hoagie? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, one of the first things we always do um, when talking to a new client or an existing client about a project is, you know, it's been harder, obviously, with the coronavirus, but um, it's just this idea of, walking the space, seeing the building, um, kind of understanding the context that the building lies in. And, you know, as Fred was kind of touching upon, you know, there's particular needs to that, um, to that client about how they're going to use the space, how many people are going to be there, how they envision those people interacting with each other. That all sort of dictates a little bit 
you know, about what a table might look like, how big it might be. Is it going to be round? Is it going to be rectangular? Is it going to be live edge? Is it going to stand out or is it going to sit back? Right. So kind of all these um, pieces of sort of understanding um, how the actual end users who will use the space for many, many years are actually going to, you know, interact with the pieces. And I think sometimes actually just being uh, on site and walking the space is just so important too. I mean, even a lot of times Fred and I are kind of coming into a project where you're basically looking at it like a demo site, <laughs> you know, the, the construction is sort of, you know, not quite started and, you know, you're trying to envision this space and what it's going to become. And even in that kind of existence of this sort of, you know, raw concrete and old wood, you can really start to envision what is taking place there. And I think that really drives a lot of conversations around, um, you know, what wood species you're going to use or um, what the base is going to look like to, to, again, either sort of draw the customer in or sit back and let the wood speak for itself, for example. Um, so I think, um, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is, you know, you, when you travel, you know, homes and furniture, you know, across the world, they look totally different. And it makes sense, you know, that there's different materials uh, that are used in other countries to build the structures of homes and how close together they are and how old they are. And I think that all dictates design. And we kind of, we think that makes sense. You know, it doesn't make sense to have a, you know, like a, a beachy house that's, you know, in the Caribbean, like in New England, New England has its own thing and DC has its own thing. And these places, um, you know, I think when a, when a piece of furniture or a building fits, it's because it's sometimes using those materials that actually live in those spaces. And so they kind of fit in the environments. And so I think we try to uh, draw a customer in and um, help them understand what they're trying to create and also give suggestions about how the materials that actually live in these parts of the world can be incorporated into the design and the final product to really, you know, make the space sing, but also uh, sort of live harmoniously in, in that space and fit within the natural environment. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it sounds like there's just so much thought that goes into every piece and thinking about the place in which it sits. And that's so incredibly important. I also love to hear a little bit about, you know, that moment of inspiration where you, you kind of find, oh, this is, this is actually what it could ultimately look like, you know, Ben, Ben for you, like, where does that design actually take shape? Is it something that happens like in your mind or in Fred's mind? Is it something that comes out of conversation with clients or is it like really something that sparks when you actually sit down and you start sketching, this is what the piece might look like or modeling it out. You know, where does that inspiration really strike in your process? I think it's kind of a, it's sort of a meandering process. I think, you know, it depends on the project. Sometimes you walk on a site or you talk to a client and you think I've got, you know, like the idea just, it pops right away and you, you have it. I think more often than not, it's much more of a, uh, you know, you kind of start with an idea when you're in the site of maybe this could work. You maybe put pen to paper and are, you know, sketching out an initial idea. You're going back through some of the photos afterwards with that sketch. Maybe you come up with another idea. Um, you know, I think all of our designs 
end up through, you know, we come up with ideas, our clients come up with our idea, ideas, our fabricators come up with ideas. And I think the final product is sort of this meandering process of all of these minds sort of working together, working towards this, you know, final product. And I think it takes a bunch of iterations, you know, that, that pencil sketch, you know, maybe has three or four drafts and then eventually turns into a, a 3D rendering that helps kind of visualize and say, you know, I thought that was going to look good. It doesn't quite work. Maybe we should switch, you know, this to brass or this to walnut. And so I think that as you kind of build on it and involve all the partners in the process, um, you sort of end up at a, a better final product. Um, but I will say there are sometimes instances, and I'm, I'm sure Fred agrees, where like you, you come into a space and like you just kind of know um, I think it's rare, um, but it, but it does occasionally happen as well. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, so Ben just spoke a lot about the collaborative process in the present, but I also want to tie this back to a point that Fred made earlier in reference to the Eli Whitney Museum of there is a huge history of craft, especially when it comes to furniture in the United States. And so much of design is anchored in inspiration from design philosophies and, and traditions that have existed before us. Um, Fred, could you talk a little bit about how, how you guys think about past and present and the work that you do now? Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, on the more, you know, kind of like, let's say, you know, from an educational standpoint or a, a design theory standpoint, I mean, I think you could definitely draw a direct line from, um, you know, like the Bauhaus to, you know, through the industrial, like through the industrial revolution, to like the Bauhaus to what we're doing. Um, and like all the way back, right? Um, I'll never forget when I told my um, my former high school um, history teacher, who I hadn't seen in like, you know, 15 years. And when I first started Hugo Hoey, I ran into him on the street and I started to tell him, um, you know, what, what we were gonna be doing. And he was like, oh, you're gonna be a carpenter um, like Jesus, right? And I was like, oh yeah, and I hadn't actually thought of it that way, but uh, I guess that's right. And so there's really, that's kind of a funny thing to say, but there's really, a line, you know, going all the way back to, um, you know, good furniture design and people have been thinking about this subject, I mean, literally forever. Um, so I think there's a direct connection that we have, you know, kind of to the tradition of people before us in that we can draw a lot from good design in the past. Um, and there's definitely some designers and some, um, some design styles that I think Ben and I um, have more of a fondness for kind of reflect more our personal style. As Ben said, a lot of it is really in the beginning, kind of listening to the customer um, and understanding what their personal design style is going to be. I think the cool thing about what we're doing with Hugo and Hobie is that we're not really um, focused on a sort of style. It's really all about, um, you know, materiality and the execution and the delivery um, and really building that community and that, that um, sense of space through the process. Um, so it's very flexible. It can be, you know, tailored to the nth degree. Um, which is helpful. Um, I think more from an emotional standpoint, um, you know, when we think about design, you know, one of the, the inspirations to um, Ben and I when we were first starting the company is that I'm sure this is true for everybody if they think about it. I think all of us have a few pieces of furniture or designs in our life that are extremely meaningful, whether it is 
uh, you know, a family dining table where maybe you ate at every day as a kid with your, you know, your parents or your siblings, or it is a chair literally that you just sat in at school um, and that you just kind of have these strong associations with this desk or this chair or whatever it is, um, you know, all the way to something smaller, like a certain cup that you used to drink out of or whatnot. Um, and so there's real kind of emotion tied to that. And one of the things we think about, um, and I think is an inspiration to us, is that you know, good design tells the story of the people and places that were involved in the creation of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's something that we try to keep in mind as we're building, you know, what, what is the story this piece is going to tell? Yeah, uh, I think that's an incredible framing for these experiences that we have. I definitely have very specific memories that I associate with certain objects that I own. And, and it's always incredible, even like 10, 15 years later, like you pick up a certain bowl or you sit in a certain chair and it takes you right back to like, you know, 15 years ago when you had that same experience and what you're doing and that sense of place is just so profound. Um, but speaking of like the influence on, on products of the people that make them, uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about what it's been like to build this network of fabricators, craftspeople, and artisans across the country. Um, ben, could you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's one of the sort of most fun parts about what we get to do is, um, you know, we work with these amazing craftspeople who love building furniture and designs and we get to kind of enter their their worlds too, which I think is sort of a, a rare world to actually to get to enter, even amongst their customers. Mm -hmm. You know, there's this sort of design process and there's this building process. And I think, unfortunately, sometimes they're, they don't talk to each other enough. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, Fred and I are lucky enough that, um, you know, in a normal year, almost every day, we get to walk into our various, uh, local fabricator shops and talk about design and look at the prototype and um, look at how a piece is coming along, talk about, you know, an edge profile or a particular detail. And um, I think it's just a lot of fun. And, and I think, you know, both we get to work with a lot of amazing uh, personalities and storytellers. And I would say teachers, you know, Fred, Fred always talks about, you know, so many of our uh, craftspeople we work with are really great teachers as well. Um, which is such an interesting um, thing and it, it's sort of not surprising too is uh, there's so few people left I think this idea of passing on that craft is really important um, to a lot of the folks we work with so yeah it's just an amazing uh, opportunity to kind of get to enter this world and um, and share it with others you know I think that's really also what we're doing with Hugo and Hobie is mm -hmm. we notice this disconnect of you know we mostly do commercial work where, you know, a big hotel or restaurant or office is, you know, building an incredible new space. And too often than not, they basically bypass all these amazing local fabricators who are right there in the cities. I mean, just down the road, like just at that barn, just in that shop, they go right past them and they, um, you know, outsource pretty much everything to um, places far away, um, people that they don't know, um, you know, in catalogs of, uh, you know, various furniture. And, you know, it's partially because the projects are so big that they worry about working with some smaller shops. Um, and I think it's a really a shame because I think, um, you know, some of the best pieces and designs uh, mm -hmm. come from that very personal 
connection that both we have, the uh, furniture maker has, the client has with that space. And I, I really think that can only happen at a local level where everyone can come to the site, look at the space, evaluate it, um, talk about it, have these conversations. And so, um, yeah, I think it's really core to what we're doing. Um, and I think it also just kind of keeps things in the community too. So, you know, you're using local hardwoods, you're working with local furniture makers, um, those same people get to use the space that's been created. So I think when you put those all together, um, I think the final product is just so much better and people really invest the time and energy um, to make that space really great because it is to be used by their community. So um, yeah, I think it's just a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, something we strive for um, in every project that we do. And, and like Fred said, you know, the more local we can keep it, uh, the better. We can't always do that because sometimes there's very specialty designs where, you know, there's just the right person for just that right piece who's a little bit further away. So we sometimes will stretch that boundary, but um, whenever we can, we keep it as, as local as possible. Um. So in this process of find, trying to find, you know, the right fabricator or the right craftsperson or artisan, I mean, how are you guys doing that initial reach out? Is it like word of mouth that you've heard of somebody and how do you actually build that relationship? And, and I'll ask this to Fred. Yeah, you, um, it's really just kind of like any other relationship, right? You build it slowly and over time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's the, that really great quote, um, you know, uh, we can only move with like the speed of trust, right? And so, and that's true, um, which is that a lot of what we do is really predicated on the values that we share with our craftspeople that we want to, um, you know, honor the customer's intent. We want to honor the design um, and that we think good design is worth investing in. So that's really the first thing you're looking for when you, you know, you're talking to a fabricator and meeting with them. There are other considerations, of course, but you're trying to get a sense of like, do, do we have the same values? Um, you know, do we share the same vision um, for what we should be doing among everything else? You know, is the capability there or the like actual technical skills present? Is the ability to deliver, um, you know, kind of present? And so it's, um, it's a feeling you get. It's also um, a little bit more kind of rigorous than that, which is like, let's, let's do a small project together, you know, before we do a huge project. We like to joke that um, we like to date people before we get married. So let's start on something that like is going to be a win for everybody so we can kind of try each other out. Yeah. Um, because what we do doesn't necessarily suit everybody. And, you know, not every fabricator's method of the working is going to be suitable for us and what we're trying to accomplish. Um, which is fine. And so kind of having an understanding of that, uh, making it very clear that just doing a lot of communication um, is kind of the, uh, the baseline. And then over time, um, it just, you know, good relationships uh, are one of those things that over time get better and better and better if you're investing them, you know, appropriately, just like any other relationship. So I'd say the same things um, that you would do with any friend or family member is what we try to do with our fabricators who, you know, over time, you know, are definitely our friends and are, you know, at this point, probably becoming more like our family, you know, in a lot of cases where um, we have each other's best interests in mind. Um, and that's really kind of the basis of, um, of any good working relationship. So I hope that's not too uh, uh, <laughs> squishy for you, but uh, I think that's really what it is. 
Yeah, no, that's a wonderful answer. Um, and with everything that you guys have built, I'm sure, you know, over the last four or five years with Hugo and Hobie, both the company has changed, but also the furniture industry itself probably has changed. Uh, what is top of mind for both of you as you think about the future of furniture design? Yeah, I think um, probably the biggest shift I think that's happened in furniture design and maybe the furniture world happened this past year um, with uh, COVID and mm -hmm. um, people sort of reprioritizing. And, you know, I think one sort of obvious place that things have changed is that all of a sudden people were at home and they were working from home and they all of a sudden looked sort of inwards at some of the spaces that, you know, maybe they said, you know, this is good enough for now, but when I spend 24 hours a day here, I really want it to be a place that I enjoy coming to. And so I think people really started to look inwards in that regard and, and not surprisingly, um, you know, the furniture industry has very much focused on the home. Um, but I think what's really interesting to see too, and that I think is sort of where it's headed is that even as companies decide, how am I going to bring people back to the office? Is it going to be, you know, uh, part remote or fully remote or, you know, fully in person? I think one of the things that's going to become clear, or maybe it's already clear, is that the, the environments where we come to gather, whether it's an office or a restaurant or a hotel, they really need to capture people's imagination and sing to the person. Because you're asking people to come from their home to some other place. And I think even more so a design matters so much in that space to kind of create a place that people enjoy, you know, coming to and uh, feel happy when they're there. So I, I think actually even more so there's this real focus on um, creating really beautiful spaces that are really thoughtfully designed. And I think you'll see more and more of that. Um, and I think the pandemic almost sort of pushed us into that category more quickly um, than it could have um, if we had just kind of gone about uh, life normally. I think some people had kind of figured that out, um, but not, not everyone. And I think it's become actually more clear how much space matters in how we feel and um, yeah, just have, you know, whether we have a good day or not, honestly, is um, a lot of times is, you know, based on the space that we're in. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, well, I, I would add that um, I totally agree with everything Ben said. I um, I think now is an incredible time, an incredibly exciting time um, to either be in design or be interested in design um, because there's so much opportunity. You know, we have, um, and, that, and that really comes, and I love the name of, um, of this podcast, Optimistic Design. It comes from an optimistic perspective on all the challenges we're faced with. Um, you know, design is going to be, and, I, and really even something as humble as furniture, I think it could be a real a part of the solution to, you know, this, the question of sustainability and how we progress while at the same time balance the needs of, um, you know, the environment, social justice in terms of how are we making sure that when we're uh, all benefiting from this incredible, you know, um, system of production that we've built over the last 100, 150 years that, people aren't being left out of that. And at the same time, have a sense of meaning in their lives that what they're building or making or doing in their every day is, is important. And I think, um, again, although it's just furniture, um, you know, uh, good design is a privilege to make and gives people a sense of worth when they're doing it. 
Um, and so this is one of the reasons why we do have um, such good relationships with uh, you know, our customers and our fabrication partners, because it's something that can really bring people together and is inherently optimistic um, in, its, in itself, in that you're trying to make the best of something and make something um, as good as it can be. And so I think, um, I think the future is incredibly bright. And I think there's tons to be excited about. Um, and I agree with Ben, where there's, there's really just tons of opportunity. I think we're going to see some really interesting things over the next couple of years. Um, and it's exciting. Well, thank you so much to both of you. It's been wonderful to have you on with me on Optimistic Design, but also really getting to dive deep into, you know, the world of furniture design and the incredible mission that the two of you have at Hugo and Hobie. Um, and thank you to everyone out there that's watching Optimistic Design. Um, to learn more about Hugo and Hobie, please visit hugoandhobie.com. Um, and to follow along and hear the most recent releases, head to substantial.com backslash optimistic design. Um, and please join us next month as we continue to take a future focused look at design, ethical innovation, and technology. Um, and thank you again, Ben and Fred. This has been so much fun. Thanks, Wilma. I really appreciate it. Great. Thanks, everyone.